0: So here on this Christmas Day, I want to speak to you about the faithfulness of God. I have mentioned it throughout this series, sermon series, I am indebted to the people of the Bible Project and to Dane Ortland. his book Gentle and Lowly. Those videos and that book has really shaped my thinking as I've written these sermons to share with you this morning, and it's kind of given us our key verse, which is in Exodus chapter 34, uh, which is verse 6. And remember the story here that God is passing before Moses and identifying his goodness As he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And the words there that God's compassion stands out to us, his graciousness, his slowness to anger, and his love, and his faithfulness. We're going to talk today about God's faithfulness, and it's actually his loving faithfulness that we're talking about would really encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, if you didn't think to bring your own, there's probably one in a a rack on a seat near you. Uh, I'd encourage you to open it to Isaiah chapter 9. There is a Bible app event for this passage, and there's going to be a QR code on the screen. Let me know if you're using those or not, because if you're not, I'm going to kind of quit using them myself, quit putting them up there. But if you find them helpful, uh, I would like to know that. Isaiah 9 is a passage of Scripture that we um, often talk about in connection with the Christmas story. And I think the church has done that since maybe the first or second century. Well, I know since the first century because it's right in the New Testament that they did that. But I think it probably became really well known when Handel wrote his Messiah. How many of you are uh, familiar with Handel's Messiah? Let me see your hand there. Yeah. If you're not familiar with it, you should be um, because it's a great piece of music. Um, Just like any album, with the exception of every Beatles album, just like any album, there's some songs that are better than others. All the Beatles songs are great, but Handel missed it on a couple. Just a joke, just making sure you're paying attention. Yeah, but um, there there's some songs that are better than others, but man, when you hear that, For unto us a child is born, you know that that guy, he knew what he was doing when he was putting notes on a page. And it's just beautiful music. It's a Christmas song, and this is a Christmas passage, and we're going to read it together. So follow along silently as I read the first seven verses of this chapter. By the way, never forget, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus shows up in that manger. Listen to what he says. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, Think of this passage, and I just think, this is a passage that 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem carried a promise that light was coming, a promise, promise. I read a story this week about a little boy who'd been acting up in class. He was in an elementary class, second grade, first grade, something like that. And uh, when he got in trouble this time, he went up to the teacher and she said to him, do you remember what you promised me? He looked up at her and said, Yes, I remember. I I, I promised I wouldn't behave I, I promised I would not misbehave in class anymore. And again she looked at him and said, And do you remember what I promised you? And the boy responded, Yes, you promised me that if I misbehaved again, you would send me to the principal's office. So the teacher looks and says, So what needs to happen next? And the little boy looked up and said, Well, I guess that since I broke my promise, it'll be okay if you break your promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clever boy, clever boy. You know, promises are important. They're important to keep. And God promises repeatedly that light is coming into the world. He promises that in the passage we just read. It is such a sure thing, he speaks of it as if it is already done, and, and it's rendered to us in a past tense, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a new light has dawned there's a promise. Light is coming. And that light is Jesus. When you read a Christmas story and you read the opening stories of Jesus life even before he's born, you see this. You see it in the story of John the Baptist at his birth. John the Baptist is born just a short time before Jesus. He is coming for the express purpose of the express purpose of proclaiming Jesus birth, preparing the way of the Lord. And when he is born, his dad, Zechariah, praises God in song. And that song happens to be written down in Luke chapter 1. Toward the end of it, in verse 79, this father of John the Baptist says that, that light is coming to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Do you see that he's making an allusion to Luke, I'm sorry, to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is on. Light has come. And Advent reminds us God is faithful to keep his promises. God's faithfulness is seen in the birth of John the Baptist, and it's seen when Jesus is presented at the temple. You probably know the story. Jesus is like 40 days old, so it's time to take him to the temple and present him there. There happens to be a man who's in the temple. He's there quite frequently, and he's there he's there because God has told him, you will not die until you see the Lord's salvation, until you see the Messiah. And so he's there at the temple, and here comes Mary and Joseph with a 40-day-old baby to present, named Jesus, and the Spirit of God says to Simeon, that's the one. That's the one right there. And so Simeon, he has a song that he says. And in Luke 2.29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you hear how that fits with Isaiah 9? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Advent. It reminds us that God is faithful to his promise. Let me just give you one more example. It comes from Jesus himself, and you see that God's faithfulness is actually seen in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 It reads, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went into Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. And you're thinking, why is Matthew giving all this geography? Because it's a fulfillment of Isaiah 9. He goes on in verse 14 and says, This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has done. That is almost a direct quote of Isaiah 9, verse 2. Advent reminds us God keeps his promises. And that's really reassuring. It's important. Because God's faithfulness in keeping his promise destroys darkness. And you know, One of my favorite Christmas stories, we've read it several times through Advent, is how John unfolds the coming of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When I read that... <laughs> I'm reminded that the light of Christ overcomes spiritual darkness. You know, there is such a thing as spiritual darkness, right? Darkness isn't just a matter of having some kind of a power outage. Darkness isn't just a matter of, well, somebody did something bad or somebody's doing something. There's a spiritual element to it. I can remember when I was traveling in Ecuador. We were down there with a group to do some work on a school in Otavala. Walking along there with a missionary, his name was Randy, he had been there 26 years working among those people. He knew those people probably better than any outsider could have hoped to have known them because he was there when they were born, he was there when they died, he interacted in their lives thoroughly. We're walking through the world marketplace in Otavala, which is really quite a sight to behold, and as we're walking along there, we bump into some Americans. And Americans, we stick out like a sore thumb there, right? And so these Americans said, where are you from? Oh, that's cool. What are you doing here? Yeah, oh, that's neat. And then the one guy said this. He said, we have, have an appointment. We've got to get going. We have an appointment today. We're going to meet with a shaman, a witch doctor, and he's going to do some ritual on us. We're just so excited about it. They were kind of viewing it like it was all fun and games, like they were visiting Disney. A witch doctor, a pagan witch doctor. Who, despite what you might see on television about the idyllic life of the people living in such places, it's not idyllic at all. And when they walked away, Randy said to me, "Those people have no idea what they're getting themselves into. The spiritual darkness that is there, because those spirits that that witch doctor is going to summon, they are real. Those demons that that shaman is going to be bringing upon them, they are smart." And those tourists they are fools. They are fools. Often, spiritual darkness is just a matter of cluelessness. It kind of happens because people are in the dark, so to speak, and it can lead to bad things. But Jesus, when you look to him, when you listen to him, when you learn from him, when you study his word, you see that he shines light so that bad things can be seen for what they are. It's happened to you, I know it has, that you felt like this was really a cool thing to do, but as you grew in your faith, if you're walking with Jesus, you began to realize, that was really a dumb thing I was doing. There was spiritual darkness there. In his light, it overcomes spiritual darkness. It brings understanding. It can bring beauty in the place of ugliness. It can bring hope in the place of despair. It can give courage in the, in the place of fainting and cowardness. It can give life in the place of death. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of God promised in Isaiah 9. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. This verse tells me that the light of Christ eliminates evil's darkness. <laughs> I haven't told this story for a while. If you remember it, just laugh along with me. I can remember I was, uh, when I was in college, um, I was a campus policeman. Now, before you get all excited about, "Whoa, Pastor Steve was a policeman, you got to know it was a Christian college, and it wasn't real high-level crime we were dealing with there, right? <laughs> I can remember um, occasionally there were a few empty houses up on the hillside, and occasionally we'd get a call, hey, somebody's up there at those houses. It's 10 o'clock at night. it's start. Can you go up and just see what we've got to report? Somebody's up there. And so we go up there, and then we had to go through, check the door locks, and if they were unlocked, we had to go through the house and make sure it's, an ab- it's not abandoned, but it's an empty house. Have to make sure, you know, nothing's been disturbed in there. The electricity was still on, we'd open the door, and when you'd flip the light switch on, you would notice the floor changed before your eyes, because, okay, now you're in Georgia, okay, and it's kind of a different world than this. All this four degrees below zero that we had, they don't have down there, it's kind of almost, it's not tropical, but almost, right? So we'd walk into this abandoned house, not abandoned house, this empty house, and flip on the light switch, and the floor would change before our eyes, and what we were observing was the cockroaches running away, right? Isn't that gross? Isn't that gross? Yeah, if you didn't turn on the light and you walked in, you could hear them crunching. Yeah, that's really bad. It's interesting, though, it was interesting to me that my presence, when I'd walk in in the dark, that didn't scare them. What scared them was the light, and when the light came on, they're gone. In that regard, cockroaches are a lot like all darkness. It disappears. Light does that to cockroaches. Light does that to evil. It causes evil to flee. You've probably seen it in your own life. Maybe you just feel like the enemy is really laying it on you. I don't know if he does that to you. I know he does that to you. Maybe you're just not aware of it. And he's making you feel despair or great sorrow or hopelessness or you're going through a pity party or you're just feeling just like out of sorts, ways that you shouldn't feel. And maybe you turn on some Christian music or maybe you open your Bible or maybe you get a text or a call from a friend, a Christian friend. And suddenly light comes into your world and that other stuff, it vanishes. It goes away. Light eliminates the darkness of evil because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God keeps his promises. I would say to you that God's faithfulness brings you light. You, uh, I don't think any of you here remember John the Baptist, right? You weren't around when he was around. But just as he pointed people to Jesus, God's faithfulness points you to Jesus. I mean, as as you look at what he's done, what God has done, and in honoring the promise he made 700 years earlier in Isaiah 9, you can see promises that he has made in your life that he is honoring. I did a funeral for a friend this week. I do a lot of funerals for friends. I did a funeral for a friend this week, and it was hard to say goodbye. It was even harder to watch the family to say goodbye. It always is. But in that, In that difficulty of life, I saw the faithfulness of God. I saw the faithfulness of God in that God had drawn my friend's heart to his his heart before he had passed away. That's the faithfulness of God. I saw the faithfulness of God in bringing people out on on a December day into a church for a funeral service for the express purpose of showing their respect to the deceased and telling the people who are there that are left, you are not alone. You're not alone in your grief. And that's the faithfulness of God. I saw the faithfulness of God simply in bringing light to a dark time. Jesus is that light. And his faithfulness points us to him. And in doing that, God's faithfulness points you to salvation. Salvation. We read what Simeon said a short time ago. It's from Luke 2.29, where he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You get what he's saying. He's saying, okay, God, you told me that I wouldn't die until I saw the Lord's Messiah, your Messiah. I've seen him. Go ahead, pull the plug. I'm ready to die. That's what he's saying. And then listen to what he says, though, about what he has seen. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of nations, a light for the revela- for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The light, Jesus, is salvation. In a Christmas story, when we're speaking of how we're going to give Jesus a name, the angel says, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He saves you from God's wrath. He saves you from despair. He saves you from a a trivial life, even a meaningless life. He saves you and enriches your life, giving you a taste for what is good. Did you ever ever see someone, a little kid and, you know, somebody puts down a really good meal in front of them and they taste it and because they're not familiar with it, they're like, eh, this is gross. Maybe your husband does that. You know? And, And it's like, I can remember in my first church, there was this guy that bought these little microwave $2 cakes and he'd bring them to church dinners and everyone's like, oh, we need to have his cake. That's the best cake going. Until my wife brought a cake made from scratch that was the same chocolate kind of stuff. Nobody ever wanted those other ones. Their taste changed. That's kind of the way it is when you turn your heart to Christ. The the, the mud pies that you've been making pale in comparison to the trip to the beach that he wants to take you on. And he gives you a taste for something that is, that is much greater. And, and he, he loves you deeply, drawing you toward him like a wayward child and giving you hope in light, the hope of eternal life. He's faithful. God's faithfulness tells you you can trust Jesus. You can trust him when the promises, you can trust him when he promises, rather, that he's going to pay for your sins. There are many places that he mentions this, but I'm thinking of Mark 10.45, where he uses a messianic t- title for himself, the Son of Man, and he says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus says, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He is faithful. He said he would do that. He did that. You can trust him when he promises to give his life to pay for your sins. And you can trust him when he promises that you can have an eternal home. He's sitting with his disciples at the the last supper. It's the last supper before he goes to the cross. He will be arrested in just a few hours. And in that moment, he speaks to them with a promise. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I've told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He is faithful. You can trust him to do that. You can trust his work on the cross to pay for your sins. His work on the cross, theologians say, is efficacious. That means it's effective, that it works for you to pay for your sins when you turn your heart to him and say, I need to be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe you died for me. I will follow you. And you know it's effective because right there on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. What's finished? The payment for humankind's sin, if they'll only trust in me. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He is faithful. Have you trusted him? I mean, personally, have you really trusted him? Does do, When you look at your own life, you know, I, people used to say this. It kind of made me crazy. You know, when other people look at your life, do they know you're a Christian? I kind of like them too, but if they don't, that's not as big a problem as when I look at my own life. Do I know I'm a Christian? And that's the real question. And when you look at your own life, does it show that you have received this huge gift of forgiveness? This complete release from shame for the things you did that you wish you hadn't. This beautiful relationship with the God who made you and died for you. And this blessed hope of eternity with him. When you look at your own life, is that the person you see? And if it isn't, then trust him. Say, that's the person I want to see, God. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I cannot imagine why you would have done that. But I trust you. I will follow you. Do it. He's faithful. And his faithfulness, it transforms our heart. It makes us someone completely Completely different. Uh, Jesus is talking, uh, I'm going to skip some verses here. Jesus is talking about transformation. And and he he says to his disciples, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, that's not why I'm coming. I am coming so that your life can be transformed. I am coming so that you can be changed. I am coming so that you can have life more abundantly. I'm coming so you can have life more. Full throttle. Full throttle. You know I like electric cars, right? I just think that's such a cool idea. And some of you are shaking your head like, why? A little company in Georgia, well, it's not very little, it's got a lot of money because of investors, just released their Rivian. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not because I only read it, I don't hear it. But it's a pickup truck. Zero to 60 in under three seconds. They have this system called launch, okay? Okay. And, and, and the way it works is that you put your foot... You do what you should never do in your in, in your mom's car. <laughs> but we've all done it. You put your foot on the brake, and you put your foot on the gas all the way to the floor, and then you release the brake. When you do that, you had better be hanging on, because that's called launch. And you're going to go flying forward. I read an article that it works backward, too, so be careful about that. Zero to 60 in reverse might not be what you're looking to see happen. right? <laughs> full throttle oh, that feels good that is the kind of life that Jesus is bringing you I think sometimes we feel like well if I come to Jesus then I gotta like what am I gonna take up knitting you know and if you like knitting more power to you my daughter-in-law knits Rachel that wasn't a cut okay All right. what you have though instead is a life that is abundant and full the way the creator of the universe wanted you to have it I don't know anyone who's living for Jesus, who's truly living for Jesus, that says, man, I should have never followed him. Hmm. It's just so crazy. When you open your heart to the light of Christ, his faithful love changes you. You discover what's hidden in the manger. the faithful love of God. And if you haven't opened your heart to him, do it. He's waiting for you to do it. He's waiting to forgive you. So you don't have to carry that weight on your back. He's waiting to transform you. He's waiting to give you that creative life that you were created to have. And even if you have, like Pastor Steve, it's Christmas morning, the only ones here, people are already saved. <laughs> yeah, okay. But even if that, you're thinking like, yeah, I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago, you just hear the sentence, he still wants to change you. He will be done changing you when you die. Remember when you were first a Christian and some changes happened, you thought, I got my act together. And then you remember years later, it's like, I don't have my act together. (laughs) He knows that. And he loves you anyway. And he wants to transform you. I'm going to pray that he would do that for all of us. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you are the one who is in the manger. And that when we look to you, we see the compassion of God, the grace of God. We see the abounding love of God. We see, we see what we're talking about today, the faithful love of God. We lean into that love with all our hearts. We accept that love. Yeah, maybe some, for the first time, says, wow, I finally get it. I want to be forgiven and I want to follow Jesus. So as they tell you that, just inside of their, the silence of their thoughts, I know you'll hear them, and you'll work with them to help them become who you created them to become. And others who are here or online listening that maybe years ago we did that, and we've been following Jesus for years. We still want to grow more. We want to be changed. We know your faithful love transforms our hearts. Make it so through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.